Welcome to the Fresh Start Church Podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. Here you'll find preached messages from our pastors. We pray that the spirit of revival is imparted to you as you listen. To watch live, check us out on YouTube or visit our website at freshstartaz.com. And to stay connected with us, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. I'm going to pick up where I left off last week when here comes the power. I want to look at our text and then I'm going to move quickly to what God I believe has to say to us today. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 19 through 23. Paul in the previous verses is in prayer and this is part of his prayer that the church would have wisdom and revelation that they would have understanding and then he goes here in verse 19 and he says what is that they would understand what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe that that's the the heart of the text paul is praying that we would understand the exceeding greatness of god that is moving toward those who believe and then he paints this this the magnificent power the succeeding power on the backdrop on the backdrop of the resurrection and he said according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in christ when he raised him from the dead seated him at the right hand in heavenly places far above far above not just a little above far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but in the age to come and he put all things under his feet who god put all things under the feet of jesus gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The main thing I want to deal with here at the beginning to just do a little refresh is the fact that we understand that God released an exceeding great power to bring Jesus out of a tomb and then to bring him back into heaven and seat him on a throne and then paul goes into this prayer that he's praying that we would really grab hold of this because i think it's important and that we understand that this power that power that resurrection power is moving toward us so obviously then power moves it's not static it moves so power moves, and when it moves, it forces movement. When power moves, everything around it moves. It has to be responded to. When power moves, there must be a response to it. It can be conscious, it can be subconscious, but when power moves, everything around it moves. And so Paul is praying here that we would get, that we would get this understanding that power moves but it does not move randomly, it moves toward faith. Because it moves toward those who believe. Not every church in the world, not every church in America, not every church in Peoria, Arizona today will experience the moving of God's power. Only those that expect it, believe for it, contend for it, crave it, hunger are desperate so the power of God moves it's directed toward faith and expectation and then according to Jesus in Mark chapter 16 and this is where we will take our text today later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and the hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen and he said to them go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature that's important because this is giving us the context on which signs are released into He said, and these signs will follow them. 
Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes is baptized will be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. And in verse 17, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out devils, and they will speak with new tongues, and they will take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will not by any means hurt them. They will, they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. I just come to announce, here comes the power. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and set down at the right hand of God. And they, somebody shout they. And they went out. Where'd they go? To their metron. They went out and preached everywhere, everywhere. Because everywhere they went, they owned it. They took ownership of it. They weren't borrowing nothing. They were owning everything. And the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Bless your word, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Faith and expectation are spiritual magnets for signs and wonders. What does this teach us? It teaches us that atmosphere attracts. I said it teaches us that atmospheres attract. Where there is expectation and faith, signs, supernatural things are attracted. So if faith attracts, so does doubt. Because the atmosphere can be positive or it can be negative. It, it can be filled with faith and expectation or it can be unbelief and doubt. I, I, it, it, isn't one of the little cartoon characters, the peanut character that walks around, rain all over it, all the, the cloud and all that. Isn't that one of those guys? I, 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 nobody watches the peanuts anymore. What? Oh, he's dirty. That'll work. I see a few dirty people in here. Well, the point is, whatever atmosphere you allow to take dominance over your life is what you will attract. If you don't like what's coming around your life, you might need to shift your atmosphere. Yeah, it, 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 it's, 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 see, faith attracts freedom. Doubt attracts bondage. Faith attracts a fresh experience but doubt attracts stale religion. Faith attracts peace and protection and prosperity. Doubt draws to it chaos and pressure. Faith attracts healing. Doubt attracts brokenness and woundedness. I'm talking about what atmospheres attract. So it's vitally important if we're going to see the full manifestation that I believe God desires to release over his church and specifically Fresh Start Church, then we got to make sure our atmospheres are right. I feel pretty good about the corporate atmosphere, so I'm not really speaking that right now. What I'm talking about is your personal atmosphere. And the, and the reality is, if, if, if the personal atmosphere of doubt becomes greater than our personal atmosphere of faith, then doubt will determine what takes place, what we attract in the house. 
But I have come to believe that if we will hear the word of the Lord and put our faith in the word of the Lord and let God be God and believe in faith and expectation that he is a good God and he wants to do good things. He is not an evil, mad God. He is a good God, a righteous God, a holy God, and he's just looking for somebody to pull on his righteousness. I um, found it interesting as I was going deeper in this text this week. I did not know this. I've read this many times. This, this, probably you have too. You've read these scriptures many times. Have preached from them probably many times. But I, I, I found it interesting as I, as I began to delve into it that there's some controversy concerning the scripture. And And... You know, there, there are biblical scholars, and, and I mean, they're, they're smart. I mean, really, they're, 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 they're brilliant theologians and, uh, you know, seminarians and scholars and, and uh, well-learned and well-read, uh, much, you know, brighter than I am. And they seem to argue that this, this, there's no validity to the text from verses 9 through 20. They, they, they argue that Mark chapter 16 ended at verse 8. And that the, then the preceding verses, or, or the, the, the verses following that, verses 9, 10, 11, and 12 on through 20, came later. Not even sure that they came from Mark. And so, so they, they, they're challenging the validity of the checks because so, they believe then that after verse 8, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit ended. And so verses 9 through 20 are just something someone decided to write to it to bring a smoother conclusion to the chapter because it just abruptly ends in verse 8. Duh. So they believe they were added later, just to make the conclusion coherent. If this is true, then it invalidates the words of Jesus. That signs follow those who believe. Obviously, they don't have a problem with the Great Commission. They don't have a problem with going into all the world, even though that was added later. In their opinion, they have no problem with that. The problem they have is the validity that Jesus would absolutely have the gall to say, whoever believes that these signs will follow those that believe. They question the integrity of the text. And you know, as I was pondering this and understanding that they are much brighter and, 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 and much deeper thinker than I am, I, I suppose, I suppose that, that there could have been, uh, you know, something could have been added at a, a later date. And, um, but to me, the conclusion that they reached of, of invalidating the text as inaccurate and inauthentic really doesn't matter to me that it was added later because you see, when you interpret scripture, when you interpret the text, the way you do it, you go to Bible college, they'll teach you. One of the first things they teach you is when you're looking at the word of God and you're studying the word of God and you're trying to get a handle on a text, one of the first things you do is look at the text around it and then you look at the weight of scripture in the, uh, of, of the whole Bible, right? Because there are those that say this is invalid, therefore, you know, they're the cessationists, they're the ones that, that say, you know, 
that, that, that since uh, all the apostles have died, when the last apostle died, uh, so did signs, wonders, and miracles, and supernatural and manifestations. But the, the, but, but the truth is, if you know your, your, your Bible history, that the Holy Ghost has never stopped working, and there's always been signs, wonders, and miracles. It gets a little crazy out there sometimes, but nonetheless, some people think he died after accident and didn't show up until Azusa Street. That is so wrong. The Holy Ghost has been, has been doing an enduring work all through history. He hasn't gone anywhere. The reason I, I, I wanted to deal with this because you need to understand this because sometimes people are going to challenge your belief in the supernatural. They're going to challenge in your belief that you can actually flow and move in the supernatural. And so, so again, the way you many times is make sure a text is accurate as you look at the weight of scripture. And so I just want to share some scriptures with you. This is on, on the screen. I'm going to do this super fast, but I'm going to show you why I still believe that these signs shall follow. Luke chapter 1, verse 35, it said, And an angel answered it and said to her, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is in you is to be born will be called the Son of God. So watch this. It took power for Jesus to be conceived. Matthew 13, 54, coming to his hometown, he, but he, he began teaching the people in the synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom? And watch this, these miraculous powers. What I'm showing you right now is the power of God through the Holy Spirit working in the ministry of Jesus. Matthew 13, 58, and he did not do many miracles there because they, because they lacked faith. So, so, he, so he does miracles, documented, but he couldn't do them there because there was no. Luke 4, 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and the news of him went out through all the surrounding regions. So Jesus returned. Where did he return from? The wilderness. After his 40 days in the wilderness, he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So we can all, uh, we all agree, Jesus had a power ministry, right? So now let's look, let's look at the ministry of the apostolic church, the New Testament church, Luke 9, 1 through 2. Then he called the 12 disciples together and gave them, somebody shout them, them power and authority over all demons to cure disease and he sent them to preach the gospel of the kingdom and to heal the sick who the church behold i give you authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you this is jesus speaking to the disciples and the apostles acts 4 and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of Jesus and with great grace was up on them. 2 Corinthians 12, 12, concerning Paul the apostle, truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. Acts 19, 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5, my speech, Paul speaking, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in de demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 1 Corinthians 4, 20, last verse, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. I have come to announce, here comes the power. Here comes the power. Now, I just felt like I needed to take a moment. So if there's any controversy over the text, that's gone. It is inspired. It is scripturally sound and validated. I want to look at these four signs. See, according to Jesus, these supernatural signs are supposed to follow those who believe. Yes? 
these signs were God's declaration of his signature upon the preaching of the gospel and the truth that it bore out. These signs shall follow them. Remember when we were talking about this word follow, it, it, it means to accompany on a trip. It's telling us that these signs should always be by our side. They should be close, they should be accessible. That when you're in a situation where you can see the manifestation of one of these signs, you don't have to be in that sanctuary of Fresh Start Church. Because they don't dwell in the sanctuary. They follow the people of God. Oh, let me rephrase that. They follow those that believe. And we learned that the word belief, the best interpretation there is to constantly believe. So it isn't just talking about somebody that had faith in Jesus as their savior. It's talking about somebody that's living by faith, walking by faith, that when they get up in the morning, they think faith, they think expectation. I wonder what God's gonna do today. I wonder what miracle's gonna happen around me today. I wonder who I'm gonna put my hands on and what's God changed their life today. I just wonder what kind of miracle is God gonna teaching us that we experience what we expect. You said, are you a faith preacher? You better be, because without it, you can't even be saved. You can't even, you can't even know God unless you believe. But, but, the, but the idea, continually believing, is speaking of aggression. In other words, we should, not, we should not be passive waiting on God. We should be aggressive because God's waiting on us. He already gave us the promise. If you would believe, those that follow, those that follow, signs, signs will follow those that believe. Yes? And so, I was just, you know, I could get up here and preach to these four things and they got, they got kind of face value to them. You don't have to dig real deep. But I just felt like that this is more important. It may be, may be the reason why the enemy is fighting the validity of the text is because what it carries. And, 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 and they're just not four random things that God decided or Jesus decided. I'll just throw these out there. It's inspired word. So I, I, I begin to think, I wonder what do these signs mean to our mantle, to our mandate, to our metron? What, 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 what do these verses mean to us? The first sign, he said that, that in my name, they will cast out devils or demons. In my name, they will cast out demons. Okay, that sounds fun. It's like, why start there? Why not start with new tongues? But it starts that in the name of Jesus, we cast out demons, devils. I, I, I believe that this scripture shows us that the power of the gospel still brings about transformation. Remember, this is in the context of going into all the world and preaching the gospel. These signs that God still has the power to transform a life. 
the starting point for this understanding is we have to have a core conviction that the gospel is not only about salvation, but it is also about deliverance. I don't just get forgiven, regenerated and justified. This same gospel delivers me from the power of sin, Satan, and sickness. This, 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 is, this is important to understand because we're, we're talking about supernatural, we're talking about signs, wonders, signs to follow them. Signs, wonders, and miracles are a part of the gospel. And they're essential, they're an, it's an essential part for deliverance. Delivering them from what? The sway of the evil one over this planet. They're everywhere. And yet the church lacks so many power ministries. We have ministries to everybody and everything. But we don't have no power ministries to break the power of darkness. You see, the reason this is, is, I believe, is because we lack the full revelation. And many pastors only view deliverance as an add-on to the gospel. I preach Jesus crucified and I get people saved. Thank God we, you at least do that. But you got to understand, when, when you look at the condition of a broken, sin-filled world, they don't just need to know that they can be forgiven. They need to know that the depth and the root of the demonic powers that have ruled their life can be broken. The, the gospel announces that there is freedom. It announces there is freedom to the captive. And it breaks all manner of depression, oppression, and possession. He said in my name, cast out those things. John Wimber, a leader in the great power evangelism movement, said signs and wonders where Jesus is calling card. Proof that the kingdom of God had come. Jesus manifested the power of the kingdom. And he did it with tangible miracles and signs and healings and deliverances. And every time he showed up and he announced the good news of the kingdom, sin and sickness demons and poverty and death had to leave he just had to get up and leave when he walked into the room it's just got to get up and leave he gets up and says the kingdom of God is near demons start jumping out of windows sickness starts coming off of people oh it may not work like that for us it worked like that for Jesus Luke chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, it said, Then he called the 12 disciples together, and he gave them power and authority over demons and to cure disease. He sent them to preach the gospel of the kingdom and heal sick. What is Jesus trying to teach us here at Fresh Start Church? Why is he trying to say to us when he says, in my name, you will cast out demons? He's trying, to, he's trying, I believe, to give us an understanding. As you watch Jesus walk through the Gospels, and Jesus, Jesus was casting out demons, and when he cast them out, he cast them out with authority. He delivered them by taking authority. When he says in my name, Jesus said, in my name, you will cast out 
demons. What was he saying? He's telling us that when it comes to casting out demons, you got to grab hold of his name and you've got to take authority over the condition on behalf of Jesus and command that demon to leave in Jesus' name. He said, I'm going away. I'm going up there. But I need you in my name to cast out demons. I need you to go in my authority on my behalf. I'm not there to set them free. You're there to set them. As powerful as prayer is, and it is powerful. Obviously for us, prayer is paramount. Nothing can be done without prayer. But in, in, in the case of following the ministry of Jesus, we find that his weapon against demonic forces being cast out of a person, personal ministry, personal deliverance, was not in prayer. He did not pray for them. Prayer was the place of preparation. So that when he encountered a broken, sin-filled life, that the demons of hell have ravaged, that he had the authority and the power as the son of God to speak to that thing, tell it to shut up and get out. And they obey. What does that mean for us? I think somehow these fourth signs, these four supernatural signs are connected to what God is getting ready to manifest in, in, in his kingdom end time church. The fact when it comes to, in the name of Jesus, casting out devils, it's not about can I pray hard enough over them. It's about can I take authority? How do we get that authority? Well, he's already given it to us. So how do we activate it? We activate it by getting as close to Jesus as we possibly can. Why is that important? Because we must, listen to me, I'm trying to teach us right now, because I believe God's getting ready to do something. And, and, and we have to understand, listen, that we have to be able, if we're gonna bring true deliverance, true deliverance that, that matters and that lasts. I'm not talking about getting the same person free every Sunday. I'm talking about getting them free because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. You say, do you believe a Christian can be possessed? I like how Isaiah says it. A Christian can have anything they want. And if you want one, you can have one. But watch this. The reason I believe Jesus was 100% when it came to setting the captive free, you never find one time in scripture that he dealt with the demon and it won. Why was he so accurate in it? Because he understood what was going on. So he accurately assessed the condition that that person was in. He knew exactly what demon it was. He knew exactly where that person was at in, on, on their journey to deliverance. He was able to spiritually discern and, and, and accurately assess the condition. And once he had understood the condition, then he commanded the demon to leave. And they all left. Listen to me, church. We must become proficient with the Holy Spirit's power. Power is coming. But it's not coming so we can just say we have power. It's coming so we can invade the realms of darkness and in the name of Jesus cast out demons. We must be proficient at it. We must be able to do it without it being a big hairy deal. 
You don't got to make a TV program of it. You don't got to make a video out of it. You don't got to be on YouTube about it. It wasn't the only thing Jesus did, but it was one third of his ministry. He cast out devils, healed the sick, and preached the gospel of the kingdom over and over and over again. I have come to decree over this house that God is raising up a people that will be proficient in the power of the Holy Ghost. We ain't going to play with it. It ain't going to be a little thing. It's going to be the real deal, man. You know why? Because God's getting ready to send the real deal up in there. What was Jesus doing? Right off the bat, in my name, cast out. He's preparing us for an end time harvest. I felt a couple of years ago, the Lord pushed that in my spirit deeply. He said, it's going to get messy. Are you okay with it getting messy? It's going to get messy. It's going to be massive. It's going to be messy. Why? Because while the ecclesia is busy crying out for revival and awakening as we should be, the domain of darkness is upping its attempt to darken the minds of the unredeemed. He's trying to pull them deeper into deception and delusion. He is at work right now. We can shout and dance all around this place, but I want you to know the realms of darkness are at work. But there's coming a head-on collision. God will not be mocked. He's got a harvest yet to come. Somehow and some way, even if he's got to do it himself, he is going to rip them out of the rams of It's going to get messy. We're going to have to deal with their demons. This, this day of just getting to pray a little prayer and go on is over. If you're, going to, if you're going to heal the harvest that is coming, the powers of darkness must be broken off. Spiritual warfare is about enforcing. It's about commanding demons to bow to the victory of Jesus. It's about setting the captive free. All I can tell you, it's going to get messy. Prepare. And then he said this. Those that believe, they will speak with new tongues. Now, that's easy for us to swallow because we're a tongue-talking bunch of people. We, we, we pray in tongues without, you know, it's Okay. You'd be surprised how many people say, it's been a long time since I heard somebody speak in tongues on a platform, much less in a church. And I'm not talking, I'm talking about Pentecostal churches. You know, Pinos. Pentecostals in name only. Let me say that again. Pentecostals in name only. I believe the most dangerous place to be on a Sunday morning is in a Pentecostal church where the preacher gets up who's dead, dry, and hadn't spoken in tongue in years and tells you this is all the Holy Ghost has. Ain't that right, Dad? So, once again, I was deeply thinking. Then Acts 2, 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Other tongues, new tongues. Other tongues, new tongues. And so, in my brilliance, I got it. Before there can be a new tongue, there must be a fresh baptism. Because when they were first baptized in the Holy Ghost, they spoke in other tongues. But he didn't say those that believe will speak in other tongues. He said they will speak in new tongues. 
And the word new there means quality of. So it means, you, so it means that those that believe, they will up the quality of their prayer language. I know it's deep, but play with me a little bit. So, so if, if there's a new tongue, there must be an old tongue. Is it possible that we grow so used to our praying in tongues that if we're not careful, we can do it without the utterance of the Holy Spirit? Have we gone a little too far in this thing? Acting like you can pray in spiritual, authentic tongues? without having a Holy Ghost encounter? Do we have a learned tongue? Or do we have a Holy Spirit inspired tongue? I can't answer that for you. I don't even know if I can answer that for me. But all I know that we have a promise to those that believe they shall speak with new tongues. Well, what, what does all of that mean? What does all of that, what, 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 see, 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 in Ephesians 5.18, in the, in the Passion Translation, the Apostle Paul says, and do, I love, and I love the Passion Translation, and do not get drunk. Should have put a comma there. Do not get drunk with wine, which is rebellion. Instead, somebody shout, Instead. Be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you have been around Pentecostalism much, you are probably already ahead of me because we understand that the verb be filled is present tense. Y'all know what that means, right? That means you should be doing it all the time. Present tense means present tense. You should be filled with the Spirit constantly. You should be filled with the Spirit regularly. It is not, and it is, is constructed not as a, a suggestion, but as a command. The apostle, is, the, the apostle is commanding us to pray in tongues all the time. It is a hell, it'd be a great idea. Matter of fact, if you would like to do that, we have a special room. And you can go to that special room and pray in tongues all you want. But we really don't want to upset anybody and offend anybody. So when we all come together, we don't believe we should pray in tongues when we come together because we don't know the interpretation. Why, 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 why? They wear me out with that stuff. But I have come to tell you something. There is a power that you possess, Pentecostal. There is a power, spirit-filled man and woman, charismatic. There is a power that when you pray in tongues, things shift, things move. See, I don't understand why that's important. Well, obviously, number one, you probably haven't really been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Maybe somebody told you you were. Maybe they told you pray like this. It, 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 it's, it's not only necessary, it is essential. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is, is like a well, but it's also like a river. It's, it's, it's like a well because it's stationary. This indwelling in my spirit through the Holy Spirit, this immersion that is subsequent to salvation. So, you know, the argument, well, when you get saved, you get all the Holy Ghost. What do you need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost for? You do get all Holy Ghost. You get the whole full load indwelling spirit of God. It takes all of that to get us saved. That's how lost we are. But then there's this infilling. There's this saturation. There's this overflow 
that we believe the initial evidence of that is speaking in tongues. It becomes an amazing weapon and a, of, 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 and, and, and a communication with God that we can't do on any other level. So there's the indwelling and there's the infilling. But as the Almudi says, we need to keep going back and drinking from the well until it becomes a river. Jesus said this in John 7. He said on the last day that the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone, is, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Any thirsty people. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart or out of his belly or out of his womb will flow rivers of living water. And this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit had not yet been given. Because Jesus was not yet glorified, we understand Jesus was talking post-Pentecost. This phrase here about believing and keep on drinking, it literally, or to, or to, or to drink, it literally means that, that, we, that we should keep coming, and we should keep coming, and we should keep drinking. See, the thing is, it's not a one-time experience. It's not something you do for a while and move on to something else. It is a life, see, as revivalists, we, we must not forget that speaking in tongues is not only the initial evidence of Holy Ghost, but it is the indwelling, continual release of an experience through the Holy Spirit. So those of us that says you got all the Holy Ghost you'll ever need, they're lying to you, my friend. You may have, you may have first got it all, but as D.L. Moody says, we leak. I ain't met a Pentecostal yet that doesn't leak. And some of us got more holes than others. And we can get it on Sunday morning and it's leaked out by Sunday night. And by the time we get to Monday, we ain't got nothing left. We need to get the holes plugged up, but we need to start drinking until we're overflowing. So when we show up in our Metron, we are flowing in the Holy Ghost. Somebody shout yes. Oh, I got to hurry up because I'm, I'm, I got stuff here. Let me say this and I'll move on. The reason the baptism of the Holy Spirit is important is because the baptism in the Holy Spirit is the gateway to the supernatural. You, you, can't, you can't hardly read through the book of Acts without it referring to the supernatural. It was all over the book of Acts. Please understand the baptism of the Holy Ghost is not a goal. It's a gateway. It's not a goal I reach. It's a gateway that I continue open up to the things of God. I'm going to move on because I got to say some other things. The third thing, and this is where a lot of people get like really crazy with Serpents and poison. And they will take up serpents. Me no like snakes. I would never make it in one of those Pentecostal churches where they like play with the snakes. You know they're still around? They're still around. To show their faith, they reach in some basket or something, start praying in tongues, shaking that snake. Mm-mm. I have no faith for that. None. Zero. None. None. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. Face value, this, 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 this is something that the, 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 the ex-church had to deal with it in the natural because they didn't have roads back then. And when they were sent on a mission, they had to cross wildernesses, deserts. 
And so many times they would encounter snakes, scorpions. Because they were on a mission, they didn't always have a place to stay and a place to eat. So it's really like, you know, some of you in our modern day missionaries have stories they tell of the protection of God. That they ate what was set before them and they sanctified it and, and, and you know, their faith level is way beyond mine. But God protected them, right? That's, that's natural. Face value, that's what Jesus is dealing with because he understands he's raising up a missional church to go into all the world and preach the gospel. On your way, you're going to encounter serpents and snakes. And if, see all the other things he said, and you will, he said you will take up serpents. Then he says, but if, if you drink poison, if you drink it, no harm will come to you. So I said, okay, I could just say that and move on. Because I was thinking, well, we've already dealt with spiritual warfare. We've dealt with casting out demons or dealing with the demonized. And then I heard the Holy Spirit say, but this is different. Taking up snakes and scorpions is not about deliverance. It's about dominion. Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, behold, I give unto you authority to trample, to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Same verbiage, parallel thought. Jesus is saying both verses. Jesus is telling us, listen to me, church. We have to understand this right now because we have a mandate. We have a mandate that demands that we understand not only how to deal with deliverance, but we have a mandate that we need to understand how to walk in dominion. It's about us going on a mission. It's about us going through the desert dry places. And when we do, and the enemy shows up, we are to take that slithering demonic principality by the nap of the neck. That's what he says, take him up. He didn't mean take him up and play with him. He meant take it up by the neck. Slap that bad boy down. Let him know who is in charge. The promise that if we would march into untouched, undeveloped, spiritually undeveloped regions, that we would deal with these demonic forces and the authority of Jesus' victory, casting them out of regions. The promise that goes with this is the promise of protection. From what? We're going to tread. We're going to take them up. The promise is, I believe, divine protection from any backlash. Just, just, just get real. There is demonic backlash. My wife says it like this, you can't give no hits and not take no hits. But we have a promise. The promise is you will tread. You will push down. You will crush. You've been given authority to evict your enemies. And to enforce the victories of Christ's cross. As I was studying this, I, I found one source that said that serpents, snakes, and scorpions are symbols of demonic powers. Watch this. And chaos from the underworld. So when you press in, because that's your mandate. Mantled for revival, mandated 
to open up regions for revival. That somewhere along the way, you're going to encounter, and we're going to encounter these serpents, these snakes, these scorpions, and they say that they will come to create chaos in the underworld. It says they are symbols of divination, fortune-telling, witchcraft, and by word curses, spells, and incantations, they will try to push back. They will try uh, to, to, to backlash, come against you, to cause you to give up territory that you have taken. If you've taken nothing, they will not come after you. But we have made up our mind. This is too good to keep to ourselves. We've got to make sure a nation we know hangs in the balance. And if we've got to fight fortune tellers, witchcraft, divination, if we have to work against chaos from hell, then so be it. Because we have a promise that he will keep us and not let anything hurt us. Yes? yes nothing shall hurt us stand on that promise when the enemy is pushing back you see what do we do if we understand if we come to realize because sometimes we're under these things and don't even know it but if there's chaos from another world then there's things that just seem like don't make sense and they just don't quit. It can get very complicated. People have written volumes on what to do with situations like this. But I had just come to tell you, number one, you need to make sure every door in your life is shut. If you, have, if you have sin in your life, then you need to bring it before the cross. You need to fall on your face in repentance and confession and ask God to cover you with his mercy and his grace. You need, to, you, need, you need to receive that forgiveness and you need to get up and go back to battle. But you need to make sure the blood of Jesus, see, make sure every door is shut and then you take that door that you just shut in the spirit and you seal it with the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus, test the enemy, no. Where the blood is applied, he has no access. Where the blood is applied, he is the he can't bring that back up on you anymore. Yesterday he worked it against you, but today the blood of Jesus is working for you and against him. Is anybody hearing me right now? And the last thing I need to tell you is this morning dealing with this is you need to learn to stay hidden in Christ. Stay hidden in Christ. Stay hidden in Christ. If you made God, I'll tell you the enemy's coming after the boastful ones, the prideful ones, the ones that stack like they're the ones doing everything. But if he can find somebody that's hidden in in Christ, he can't find them. Everything I'm talking about must be done in a, in a heart of humility. Knowing without him we are nothing, but with him we can do everything. Yes? Serpents and poison. What a sign, he said. These will follow them. One more, laying on of hands. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. You know, there's actually churches that don't believe in laying on of hands. According to Hebrews 6 and 1, Paul says that the laying on of hands is one of the fundamental doctrines of our Bible. People laying hands on people. It's, it's all through the Bible. It's everywhere. Moses laid hand on Joshua. Moses laid hands on the elders. Elijah laid hands on Elisha. Jesus laid hands on a lot of people. Peter laid hands on, on a lame man. Paul laid hands on Timothy. Barnabas laid hands on Saul. They were laying hands on each other like crazy. I'm telling you, laying on the hands makes a difference. To, 
understand laying on the hands, you need to understand the anointing. To understand, or actually you gotta understand impartation. To understand impartation, you gotta understand the anointing. The anointing is the supernatural energy and power of God with substance, it's tangible. The anointing can be sensed, it can be felt. The anointing, the word itself in the Hebrew means smear by touch. The anointing oil of the Old Testament was used to signify the passing of the anointing. In the New Testament, we see that the anointing is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can now be passed on to the same way it was in the Old Testament, through the laying on of hands. We find it over again with the apostles that they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. I'm just trying to help us. In 1 John 2, 27, 1 John 2, 27, it said the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. As a spirit-filled, born-again believer, you have an anointing. You have an intangibility of the Spirit of God working in you, but not only does it work in you, it can work through you and into somebody else. See, the anointing can be released, but it also can be received. It destroys the yoke and it lifts the burden. When somebody puts a hand on you, that is a spirit-filled, faith-filled believer expecting when they put their hand on you something to happen. And you as a spirit-filled faith believer, when somebody puts their hand on you, you expect something to happen. See, watch this, because sometimes we get it backwards and we want the person laying hands on us to do all the work. But you got to receive by faith too. I can pray on you in faith, but you got to receive in faith. And when that happens, something supernatural moves. Romans 1 11, I'm almost done. For I long to see you, that you may impart, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. Paul to the church at Rome. Paul to Timothy, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through what? The laying on of hands. Our text tells us those that believe when they lay hands on the sick, healing happens. It's, it's, very, it's very straightforward, right? It's not, when they lay hands on the sick, sometimes they will recover. Sometimes they will be healed. No, he says it right there. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I feel pretty confident with that because Jesus is saying that. So I want to believe before we leave today that somebody's going to be healed. Before we leave today, there's going to be an impartation of something you need over your life. One of my favorite stories concerning impartation is Smith Wigglesworth. I've shared this once before, but I can never get away from it. I love the story. I love Smith Wigglesworth. You know, he was a great evangelist, you know. They say Smith Wigglesworth, when he would get first thing when he would get up in the morning, he would jump out of his bed and go into a frenzy. He would just praising God, dancing before the Lord. That's the first thing he would do. I think they say he did it for like 20 minutes every day. He would get up. Don't laugh at him because he healed people. But one of my favorite stories of, the team can come. One of my favorite stories of impartation is where Smith Wigglesworth had been in the city. And uh, he had been preaching a revival. And the revival went on, uh, it was quite lengthy revival. And he was staying with a woman in her house. He was staying with her in her house and he was actually sleeping in her and her husband's bed. 
The lady's husband had been gone. Y'all look at me. The lady's husband had been gone on a trip and he was unsaved. And Smith got up one morning and did his dance and realized, you know what? I think God's done here. So I'm moving on. So he got ready to leave and he was headed out of the house and he said, ma'am, God's done with me here. I'm leaving today. She goes, oh, don't leave. Don't leave. Don't leave, man of God. Please don't leave today. My husband hasn't, been, hasn't come home yet. He hasn't got saved yet. Please don't leave yet. My husband hasn't been saved yet. And then Smith Wigglesworth looked at his woman on his way out of the house and looked back at her and said, don't change the sheets. So don't change the sheets. So Smith went on his way, and that night the lady's husband came home, got in his bed, ready to take for a good night's rest. And the, and the story goes, it wasn't too long after he was laying in that bed that he started moving around, and he started squirming, and he jumped out of that bed, and he says something like this, woman, I had to get out of that bed because I felt the fires of hell licking me. See, and he fell on his face and repented of his sins, and God saved. I come to tell somebody in this room, don't change the sheets. Some of y'all need to go home and you need to anoint everything in your teenager's room. You need to anoint everything on your husband's side of the bed, your wife's side of the bed. You need to lay down on that bed for hours at a time. I just come to tell you, you have the power of impartation. Everybody stand all over this building. You say, I don't like that kind of preaching, leave. That's right. Hallelujah. Here comes the power. Please ask the Lord to help me because I just I don't want to come across like I'm just saying that. I really feel that. There's a tangibility of the anointing. There's a tangibility of glory and power that's moving toward this house. It's moving toward your house. It's moving toward my house. It's moving toward this house. We've got to keep our faith high. I was just thinking... I don't know how many years I preached about revival before revival came. Even to the point that I like, man, you need to stop preaching about revival. So I will stand up here and announce. Here comes the power. If I don't see it tomorrow, I'll see it the next. Here comes the power. I'm telling you, there's coming a release of God's power upon this people planet. And we're going to get our portion. Here comes the power. I heard it. Not that God is even finished, but I heard this. You got the praise. You got the prophetic. Here comes the power. Thank you for listening in to the Fresh Start Church podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. You can order Pastor Kim's book, Doorkeepers of Revival, at doorkeepersofrevival.com. And you can listen to Fresh Start Revival Worship on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you stream your music. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.